Welcome to the Innovation Race Podcast, where we meet fascinating inventors, innovators, politicians, and leaders who share the view that what's best for our country is to protect patents and keep innovation in America. Now, here's your host, Jenny Beth Martin. Adam Mossoff is a law school professor at the Antonin Scalia School of Law at George Mason University. When it comes to intellectual property, when Mossoff speaks, Congress listens. Joanne Livingston, the producer of Innovation Race, says Adam Mossoff is the smartest man in the world. And speaking of Innovation Race, it's going to be in select theaters on November 16, 2022. For more information about that, go to innovationracemovie.com. I learned so much from Adam Mossoff when I did this interview, and he was so generous with his time that we are breaking this interview into two episodes. The first one is right here. Here's Adam Mossoff. What are some of the other things that you do besides teach law? Oh, yes, I wear many hats. Um, I'm a visiting intellectual property fellow at the Her- at Heritage. I'm also a senior scholar and chair of the Forum for Intellectual Property at the Hudson Institute. Um, also a very lo- long-time member and uh, uh, and uh, active in the Federal Society. I'm the chair of the uh, Intellectual Property Working Group of the Regulatory Transparency Project at the, F- at the Federal Society. And I'm also a board member of the uh, Center for Intellectual Property under Understanding. Adam, how in the world did you get so involved and decide to become an expert on intellectual property? Well, I've always been a major tech geek for mm-hmm. uh, since I was a young child, uh, inspired by Carl Sagan and Cosmos back in the 70s. And, um, <clears throat> and I've also uh, been passionate about the importance of ideas and the and, and especially um, in political philosophy, you know the, the the ideals of limited government and the protection of right the rights to life, liberty, and property that was put into practice by our founders. And so for me, it was just kind of the perfect connection, you know, to tie together in my career my love for property rights and and political theory and law and my embrace and love also of technology and science. Now, we're going to get into things about about the film, but as we were talking just as we were beginning, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you have a website, adammossoff.com, mm-hmm. and you're on social media. And um, tell me about what you generally post every day on social media. Oh, um, I'd love to. So uh, I have a Twitter account, um, my name, Adam Mossoff, um, and um, I use it primarily to talk about you know I- innovation and patents. And something that I've, I've become somewhat known for is I do a post called the On This Date Innovation History, where I uh, tout the anniversaries of various patents issuing uh, over the past 200 years in the United States. And, um, and one of the reasons why I do this is because the patent system is, in a certain sense, a victim of its own success. I mean, it's, beca- it's been so successful in promoting so many things in our lives, from toothbrushes and toothpaste to dolls to games to, of course, our smartphones and our computers and our medicines, that people now take it for granted and they don't realize that it's so ubiquitous. And so you discover, you know, that there's patents on the Raggedy Ann doll and the Lego toys and even the game Monopoly was patented. Wow. But also, you know, the classic patents that we associate with innovations uh, on, you know, the, the technology behind 5G and, and, of course, you know, the first personal computers and Samuel Morse's invention of the telegraph and Charles Goodyear's invention of vulcanized rubber and, of course, Addis, Addison's patents. Same. He has over a thousand patents. So, in fact, if I did all of his patents,
things. I'd probably be doing one, one of his a day, every day of the year. Wow. Um, maybe even for several, for three years yeah. or so. That's, that's pretty, <laughs> pretty remarkable. Um, we've heard a lot about um, Queen Elizabeth in the news recently mm-hmm. because she has died and her funeral has been in the news. You mentioned something about how she came to America and she she saw something in America back in the, was it the 60s or the 70s? I think it was in the late 50s. So I saw a news report on this uh, shortly after she passed away. Um, And it was, and I think it's another great kind of example of kind of the innovation in the United States. So uh, when she was visiting the United States and she was here in in Washington, D.C., she and her husband did a surprise visit to a grocery store in Maryland. Um, I suppose this was a time when she could just appear (laughs) without advance notice um, and talked with people who were shopping. And apparently there was a woman there who was pushing a cart and she was marveling at the fact that there was a little baby seat in the cart and that her child could be with her um, because they and one of the reasons why she was marveling at at this at this supermarket which Americans take for granted is they didn't have supermarkets in in, in England in the 1950s yet Wow I mean and so this is kind of uh, the, the equivalent of when Khrushchev also visited a supermarket as well at this, around the same time and was marveling at the successes of American capitalism. But what's even more important is, again, this exemplifies all the things we take for granted. Like, no one thinks twice about the checkout lanes that we go through right. at the supermarket. Those were patented inventions. Those, those were, in fact, supermarkets did not take off until someone conceived of the idea of how to efficiently check people out of a grocery store very quickly with lots of goods. Wow, and I, I didn't know that until we just started talking. Yeah. And, and you're right, we, we take these things for granted, and yet it's the ideas that somebody had, that it's a novel idea, an idea no one else had, mm-hmm. and they put it out there for, for the world to see, and the world winds up benefiting from it, and for a short period of time, they, they get to, to have exclusive rights to it. Right, exactly, I mean, and I mean, Everything that humans live on the basis of had to be invented, um, from the basic methods of farming, right, right, to the actual, you know, products of farming. You know, the, I mean, the even the the fruits and vegetables that we eat today are nothing like what those fruits and vegetables were like when they first appeared in the natural world. Um, in fact, our Honeycrisp apples, uh, which we all enjoy now, actually were a byproduct of the university of Minnesota, researchers at the University of Minnesota who obtained a patent on it and licensed wow. it to farmers. Um, it's a great example, again, of our, how our patent system drives innovation and how patents as property rights, you know, because a university doesn't want to start farming. A university right. shouldn't start manufacturing, but they can use that property right to enter into a contract, what we call a license in, in patent law, with a manufacturer, with farmers, to then develop and exploit the technology or the new innovation like the Honeycrisp apple. And as a result, we all benefit from it. Right. And from from supermarkets to, of course, the light bulb, to just yes. all of it, we benefit from it. And then the inventions build on themselves, which is where innovation comes from, because you are you're in, innovating on top of, of it. So it was one one person may see a patent that someone that another inventor ha, has filed and think, oh, I, if I took that, then a light bulb goes off in that person's head, and they they can completely completely change it or or do something that wasn't thought of before. It it, it just it's so fascinating to exactly, me. Exactly, exactly. In fact, one of the I think one of the greatest misunderstandings about patents is that they obstruct innovation. You know, there, a lot of people say, oh well it's this trade off we have to have. We have to dangle this incentive of this so called monopoly, but it's not a monopoly. It's a property right, just like a farmer receives or or an industrialist when they create a, right. a 
a farm or, or a factory. But um, and that we do this because we have to have you know the invention. Otherwise, the inventions won't be made. But that's ex- but the patent system is the exact opposite of that. First of all, it's a property right system. So when people receive their patents, they, what they receive is a title deed, just like right. a title deed in a house or a title deed in your car. And you can do with that just like with your house. You can sell it. You can rent it. You can your car. You can rent it out or license it. You can use it in the way that Uber uh, drivers now use their cars. And it facilitates that interaction with other people through contracts and other exchanges that what makes everyone better off. But even more importantly, patents are published. And so it's, this is what feeds that cycle that you were just talking about, because the alternative is people keep these inventions secret, because that's the only way you could protect it. And that's what people did through history. Right. And, and since they're published, just like title deeds are, that are accessible at the county recording office, anyone can go and read the patent, and then they can invent off of it. They can, they can invent alternatives in the marketplace and start competing with the patent owner. You know, there's Coke and then there's Pepsi. Right. Um, you know, there's Ford and there's Toyota. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what drives our, our economy. Um, but then even more importantly, as you mentioned, they can build upon it. They can in, invent even more and make everyone better off. And this all occurs even before the patent falls into the public domain, even before the term ends. Until I started understanding what the patents were, I really just took it all for granted. And mm-hmm. now I'm just in awe of the system. I'm in awe of inventors. I'm a a, a total geek. I I, I yeah, grew up I, um, with I, my first computer was a TRS eighty back yeah. in the very early eighties, and I worked at Radio Shack in college, and I programmed computers mm-hmm. for my first jobs. So I I always have enjoyed watching advances in technology, but I never stepped back until just a few years ago, really talking to Congressman Thomas Massey and thought about what it was that allowed that technology to 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 be profitable and Mm -hmm. and so that people would invest in that kind of research and development. And what you just said about closing it up and hiding it and keeping it secret, we did a a prequel to Innovation Race called Invalidated. And as the um, director and producer of the film, Luke Livingston and I were going around showing it to inventor clubs, we heard someone raise their hand and say, well, how do I, how do I protect my idea? I want to make sure that my, my idea doesn't just get completely stolen. And the answer from other inventors in the room was just put it in a file cabinet and lock it. And that's the best advice we can give you because unless you have millions of dollars to defend your invention, it's going to get stolen and you'll never see a cent from it and no one else should either. And that just, that scares me. That really scares me about the future because um, if we stop innovating and we stop inventing, we're going to become locked in time where we are. And I think of it as well, I'm using an e-tablet right now to handwrite on, on it. But when our country started, we were using a quill and, mm-hmm. and parchment paper. And that's what we had used for, for centuries, what humans had used to to record. And and look at how much we, we have um, leaped in technology in just 240 years. So it just, yeah. it's... It's because we protected and we gave those inventors the ability to to own their own invention rather than saying it's part of the government or it, all, everyone just deserves to have that that right to what comes out of somebody else's head. Right, right. You know, it was um, 
you know, it's really something uh, uh, about the uh, the founders. I mean, they weren't just incredible political innovators in recognizing the significance of having a limited government and putting in a written constitution all of these structural limits to limit the government so that it protects the rights of life, liberty, and property. Um, they were innovators about what was necessary to have a, a growing innovation economy and a flourishing society. Um, before the, you know, the United States, if you were an inventor, um, you either you know, worked in secret in, in, in a guild system um, right. or you required patronage from an aristocrat or some other wealthy individual. And the United States was the, really the first country, thanks to the founders in the Constitution, which said, you know, we should protect patents, copyrights. That said, no, Will, you can have a property right, just like a farmer, just like a merchant, just like anyone else who creates something through their productive labors. And, you know, this is the source, one of the key sources of just the explosion of new products and services and what was became the, we now refer to as the Industrial Revolution. Um, you know, and Europe just marveled at it. At it. Right. Um, and we, in fact, we've lost this perspective of how amazing it was uh, when we went from, you know, in 1790, when the very first Congress and they passed the first Patent Act and the first Copyright Act, we were a massively indebted country. You know, we had just gone through, you know, a very lengthy war and a period of political unrest under the Articles of Confederation. You know, it was there was a lot of uncertainty about right. whether our, you know, we would succeed or not. We've all seen in Hamilton, the, the musical Hamilton, where King George says, "You'll be back." Right. <laughs> I mean, that 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 actually was. There were a lot of people who thought we would come crawling back to England to be at, to ask to be rejoined the, uh, you know, the the Commonwealth. And um, and yet, 60 years later, at the Crystal Palace Exposition of 1851, the very first World's Fair, we were marked marveling the world with the telegraph, vulcanized rubber, the mechanized reaper, the repeating firearms, handmill culture, the sewing machine, all of these incredible innovations, all of them driven by our patent system. What have you seen happen to patent protections in your course of teaching law? Is it the same now as it was before or is it different? Oh, um, it's different, and unfortunately so. Um, so I've now been teaching for over two decades. Um, my students constantly remind me how old I am. And the course that I'm now teaching in patent law is, is not, is not, bears almost no relation to the, to the course that I first started teaching when I became a law professor over two decades ago. It's, uh, um, it's radically altered. I mean, there has been massive changes in the patent system across all branches of the government. Um, at the Patent Office, of course, with the creation of the PTAB, um, <clears throat> the, the agency that was created to validate patents, um, <clears throat> you know, the American Vents Act, which created the PTAB, but also shifted us to a first-to-file system and away from the first-to-invent system, so away from this idea that the in innovator, the inventor themselves, through their productive labors, receives a property right to now this just being a gift granted to the person who happens to file first, um, to massive changes by the U.S. Supreme Court and even, uh, and, and even by regulatory agencies as well. Um, when there's a lot to unpack in that. Yeah. Let, let's start with the PTAB. Sorry, I'm being a good, no, 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 no. Being a good professor and throwing it, lots of stuff it's out. It's good. It's good. I enjoy this. So um, let, let's start with the PTAB, and yeah. then we can go into some of the other items that you mentioned. So we we go through some of the 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 bad things about the PTAB in in this film, and certainly we did in, mm -hmm. in a in invalidated. Explain a little bit more in case people are listening to the podcast and have not seen the film yet. What is a PTAB, yeah. and what are the problems that it creates? So, uh, you know, the, the PTAB I think is a perfect example of how this is. You know, the patent system is made to seem like it's this highly technical, very complex system, and it is now. 
but it was made that way through things like the PTAB and, 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 and other developments. So the PTAB stands for the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. It was created in 2011. It's, a, it's an administrative tribunal. So it's, it's staffed by three uh, uh, administrative officials. Um, we, they're referred to as administrative patent judges um, who sit uh, in hearings um, or what we might call hearings. It bears all the trappings of what you might expect to be kind of a court hearing in a regular court, but it's not. And the sole purpose of this agency is to, is to cancel patents that have been issued. To, uh, it serves no other function. Um, it, this, it was given one job, invalidate patents. As, and, and your uh, first um, documentary, Invalidated, um, just explores beautifully um, just how destructive that agency has become in very similar ways that other administrative agencies have been destructive in other areas of, of, of American life today. Um, and I heard this from um, Molly Metz, who is a world um, a world champion with jump roping, and her, her patent wound up being invalidated, how you can walk in on one side and you get the patent, and then on the other side you walk in and they just completely take it away. But mm. in between those two times, you've lost thousands if not millions of dollars trying to invest in 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 and get benefit from the patent that they just turn around and take take right back away and it's it's very very alarming how are they um how do the administrative judges differ from what we think of as a normal judge Oh, that's a great question, you know, because, again, as I mentioned, they, they, they give it all the trappings of what looks to be a legal process of something that you would normally expect to see. There's, there you file documents, there are petitions that have, they look a little bit like complaints that you would file in a, law, in a, in a regular lawsuit in court. But that's, that's always the gimmick um, because it's not the same thing that you would expect in court. Um, so um, and it's, you know, there's, you know, there's no respect for due process. It's complete discretionary decision making. I mean, and this is why they created it as a, as an agency, as opposed to, you know, um, setting up another court system or or, or addressing the, the, any potentially legitimate concerns that were uh, that the people may have had in the courts. Um, and so, you know, anyone in the world can file for any reason. Um, and so some, there are some patent owners who have 10, 20, 50, 60, 90 petitions filed against wow. them to cancel their patents. And the companies that are filing these petitions, it's Apple, Intel, Samsung, LG Electronics, Cisco. It's big tech. Um, it's the people who want to invalidate these patents because they want to take the technologies. And um, <clears throat> by the way, the same people who lobbied to create the PTAB in the first place back in 2010 and 2011. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, there's, you know, uh, there's no respect for the substantive rights of patent owners. And as a result of this, and as a result of you know, the PTAB's sole function being to cancel patents. So um, for patent owners, it's a, you know, it's a you know, heads, I, heads you lose, tails you lose, right? Because you don't gain anything from going through the PTAB process. You just don't have your patent invalidated if you happen to survive it. But for, but for tens of thousands of patents that they have been invalidated. In fact, as I mentioned in, in, um, in the documentary, you know, a former uh, chief judge of the, federal, of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, the, 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 the official patent court in the United States, um, they referred to the, the PTAB as a death squad for patents. Yeah, it's, it is a, a terrible situation. Um, 
when it, it almost seems like these big, the big tech companies and even other big companies that may have the, the financial wherewithal to, to crush the little guy, they've just accepted as a cost of doing business the cost that it will take to go through that entire process to invalidate the patents because for them it's less money to, to pay legal fees for all of that than it would be to actually do the right thing and pay the patent owner the royalty. Oh, exactly, exactly. You know, it's only it's only thirty thousand dollars for them to file a petition at the PTAB. Um, you know, th- you know, they they spend that money in the, in less time than it's taking for you and me to utter the, uh, one sentence. Right. Um, and I mean, these are companies that have you know you know millions and millions of dollars in the bank. I think the last time, um, you know, the data was reported, I think a- Apple, a, a computer company alone, was reported to have a hundred and something around one hundred twenty-five million dollars in cash. In cash, can you imagine your savings bank having 125 million dollars? Their legal department has a one billion dollar budget. Their legal department—I mean, that's more money than most companies, most companies ever make make combined. Yeah, right. And that's just their lawyer, (laughs) right? So, I mean, it's yes, it's this is a for them the cost of going to the PTAB, filing 50 petitions to just. Uh, w- at best, wipe out the patent, which they can very easily do because, <clears throat> as I mentioned, excuse me, as I mentioned, they don't you know follow standard rules that you see in court in terms of the rules for how you interpret the patents and how you're supposed to apply the law and um, <clears throat> and there's you know a lot of just a very what we say in the law what we say in the law is discretionary decision making, not right. following the law. Um, you know, this really turns on the head, you know, the founder's idea of creating a government of laws, not of men. Um, the PTAB and the Ministry of Aid, uh, State generally is, 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 is a violation of that basic principle. But, um, you know, for them to just, you know, file all these petitions and to go through this process, I said, at best, they wipe out the patent. Or at worst, they just, they, they just grind down the patent owner, who's typically an individual like Molly or a small company or a startup or a university who... They don't have a billion dollars, right. you know, at hand to, to spend on this, and so there's just no effort to, to for them uh, uh, possible to, to protect their patent. And so, what big tech now engages in is something we mentioned in the documentary. It's called predatory infringement, where it's just easier and cheaper for them to take other people's property, to take up the things that other people have created, than it is for them just to to pay for the use of them, which is what they should do and what they would have done in the past. It, and for those companies that have such large budgets, they, they have the means to do so. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to steal in order to be profitable. But what, no. they're, what they're doing truly is stealing in order to be profitable. Oh, it's, uh, it's predatory theft. Yes, this is no different than someone coming and saying, I'm taking your bicycle or I'm taking your car because it's easier for me than to buy a new car um, or a new bicycle at this moment. It's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a deep violation of... of Basic norms, the basic foundational principles of our country, and respecting people's property rights, and 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 of the f- basic principles of the free market, that you respect other people's property rights and you enter into contracts with them, and um, you know, and you know, it's uh, it's also hypocritical because these co- these are companies that were founded on patents, right? You know, these were companies. You know, a lot of people don't know, and I mentioned in the documentary. Uh, um, innovation race that you know Sergey Brin and Larry Page got a patent on their PageRank search algorithm in 1998. Um, they don't like to talk about that much anymore uh, because Google now no longer believes in patents because they've built their company now. They no longer need to rely on that as a patent. In fact, the patent has now gone into the public domain. But but the uh, but 
it's uh, you know same with you know Apple got patents on the you know the original iPhone and the iMac and things of that they're sort. They're still getting patents, and they're still getting patents exactly. Um, but they just don't they don't you know they don't need to rely on them anymore because Apple is such a you know valuable company and Google has already established market. Right. What has the Supreme Court done in regards to the PTAB? Have mm-hmm. we seen any cases go before the Supreme Court? Regarding the PTAB. Oh yes. Um, in fact, uh, I think I just recently reported in a um, in a in a, uh, a, a special uh, white paper, as we call them, a long essay that we published in DC um, for Heritage um, called "Innovation and Leviathan." Um, there there have now been more cases heard by the Supreme Court with respect to the PTAB than any single agency probably in wow. any kind of period of time. I think since the PTAB was created in 2011. The Supreme Court has heard six cases out of the PTAB alone, and it's not done um, because there's just been just so many problems created by it, such lack of respect for basic due process, basic rights of patent owners, um, you know, disregard of basic, you know, uh, rules with the rule of law, rule right. of law norms. They're they're stacking panels at the PTABs to reach preordained results. So, you, as I mentioned, you know, you have three these three administrative judges, these three officials. Um, who hold these uh, hearings? Right, and um, there was, and there have been several cases now, at least several, many in fact. Where, but one of the worst ones was the three judges held that a patent was valid, and the director of the patent office at that time said, uh, "Nope, that's the wrong decision," and wow. so she added two more judges to the panel and ordered them to rehear it, and the original three judges said. No, we haven't changed her mind. Right. The two new judges said, no, the patent is invalid, but three beat out two. So she, so she said it again at the time. This was on, uh, under uh, Michelle Lee at the Obama administration, uh, pointy. She said, oh, no, that's still the wrong decision. So she added two more judges to the panel. So now you had a seven-judge panel rehearing the case. And now, of course, four outnumbers three. So they came out now to the right result, which was that the patent was supposed to be invalid. Um. I mean, if, if this was happening, can you imagine this is happening in court? By the way, that's what FDR proposed, to pack the court. That's what people right, are talking about now, packing. packing the court. Right. And this is happening under people's noses because, you know, it's happening at this really kind of technical level of this administrative tribunal with this complex acronym and the patent system. And it's shocking. All of these people have law degrees. And no one has stepped back and said, is this right? As a basic, just normal, right the and rule wrong. of law. Right. Yeah. Um, what concerns me with the the PTAB is that, and you're going to know much more about this than I am, but that we're going to wind up with even more and more administrative tribunals in other areas of of our lives, whether mm-hmm. it's with healthcare, which I we we saw would be set up through Obamacare, or. Um, any uh, in many other areas where there's this tendency to say, oh well, this is too this issue is too complex for the average person, mm-hmm. so we don't need it to go to a jury trial. It needs to go to a group of experts who can understand it better, and that that seems to be um, completely unconstitutional. But it's also a very dangerous place for our country to go. And it, it worries me that we're beginning to create precedents if the, the PTAB continues to stand and we don't get rid of it, that we're creating precedents that in in years from now, we're going to turn around and look and see that you can't really get a fair tri- trial with a jury of your peers because you have to go through um, an, an expert panel. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's it. You know, as as I addressed in this kind of white paper I did for Heritage, the innovation of Leviathan. In fact, the subtitle is the administrative state. You know, ha- absorbs the patent system. You know, the, so the patent system functioned well because it was a property rights system, just like a property rights right. system with your homes, with farms, and with any other you know asset that you create or own. And and it's and we've gone back to what existed before the founders created the pat- the patent system, which is this this system of privilege, the system of, you know, this is just a matter of economic policy of what the, of what the state is deeming to be good for the st- what the state is interested in doing. And, you know, it's representative of the rise of the administrative state more generally, which really represents this, which I think you were identifying, you know, which is one of the, you know, the thing, the, the issues that the founders rightly, you know, re- you know, rejected and said, no, it's about individual uh, rights to life, liberty, and property, as specified in the Declaration of Independence, right? And you know, and then they created this, the mechanisms, the structure, and the Constitution to secure those fundamental rights of life, liberty, and property in individuals. You know, it was right. it, you know this. In, even in the 19th century, Europe was so puzzled and marvel, you know, confused by the United States about how individualistic we were. And in Tocqueville's very famous Democracy to you know, America, you know, he he basically went on a fact-finding mission. You know, he was a French uh, scholar and aristocrat, right. and he came to America to find out like what is it about America that makes America work so amazingly well, um, because it was such a puzzle to Europe because they were they were so collectivist and statist. And you know, and it's and when you read his 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 treatise, you know, he he just talks at length about, you know, the American spirit, the American sense of individualism, our can-do attitude, which is imbued perfectly in our patent system, right? You know, that's where, you know, we, we apply ideas into practice, create new things. There's no problem that can't be fixed, and you can get a property right on it, and you can go out into the market and become a successful company or a successful or, or, or just a successful individual. Um. Okay, so that that deals with the the patent rights. Well, in one other thing, or with PTAB, one other thing that I think is important to the PTAB falls under the executive branch, right? It's not falling under the judicial branch, and we have three branches of yeah. of government, and there's supposed to be checks and balances. And there are there any? Uh, um, there are no checks and balances for for the people who are on the the PTAB? Are, no, are not, there? no not, in this, not in the kind of this classic legitimate sense of separation of powers and checks and balances between the executive, legislative, and judiciary. I mean, the whole entire administrative state is under te- nominally or technically under the under the executive branch, but it really is a fourth branch of government. Right. Um, you know, and it really is this kind of unconstitutional creation um, in the 20, primarily in the 20th century. Um, in fact, you know, it's very interesting you mentioned Obamacare um, because you know, there was a one of the many constitutional challenges to the PTAB that came before the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, which uh, was resolved last year um, in an opinion called uh, Arthrex, the Arthrex decision, which addressed this kind of concern, uh, one of these structural concerns about whether the PTAB judges were properly appointed as judges okay. because they wield significant authority. They're canceling issued property rights that are in legal terms vested in you like just like you have a vested right in your home you have a title deed and you know and they're appointed by the director of the patent office now judges and all other types of officials who wield that type of authority are appointed by the president and confirmed by the senate as a part of the checks and balances right right and you don't have that at the PTAB and so the issue was whether these judges are unconstitutional or not and the supreme court 
in a, in a f highly fractured decision with multiple opinions and overlapping on a Venn diagram to try to figure out like what was the final result, said, yes, this is unconstitutional, but here's the connection to Obamacare. Chief Justice Roberts, uh, just like in a, with upholding Obamacare, said, agreed that it was unconstitutional, but then rewrote the legislation judicially to make oh, no. it constitutional. And so a court in, and by applying the norms in the administrative state that, okay, the director should have direct control over the PTAB judges. Now, this went 100% contrary to the, to the nominal justification for the PTAB, that it was supposed to be these, as you mentioned, experts right. who are just applying the law. They're not supposed to be politically accountable. And they're and, not supposed to be picking winners and losers. Right, which is what they have been because it's an administrative state agency. And so there was always this kind of tension. And in fact, um, you know, in the... Uh, yeah, in the hearings, the, you know, in, in the oral argument before the U.S. Supreme Court, in this case, Arthrex, you know, they kept wrestling with this. They kept referring to it as a strange duck. And I, and I in my own talks about this case and this issue, have said, yes, the PTAB has kind of like administrative – it's like an administrative state beaver in some respects, and it's, uh, and it's, a, and it's a, a Article Three court duck, so it's like a platypus. And, and, uh, and it's unconstitutional as a platypus. Right. Well, Chief Justice Roberts saves, saves the day for PTAB by rewriting the law to make it – to make it legitimate, just like in Obamacare, where he takes the argument that the, if you remember, the government explicitly uh, right. rejected, saying this is not justified as a tax. <laughs> right. And he said, we're going to justify Obamacare as a tax. It, I mean. <laughs> um, he, yes. Very, it's very frustrating. It, it is very frustrating. <laughs> so um, are there... There are other decisions that the Supreme Court has made that have um, caused problems for, for patents. You said over the last few decades, you've, your class is completely different. Yes. So the Supreme Court has re-engaged with the patent system. It's now issuing decisions, patent mm -hmm. law decisions, because it doesn't have to take any case. So it, it, it's purely discretionary whether the Supreme Court chooses to take a case or not. Um, it's now here deciding cases at a rate we haven't seen for over a century. Wow. Um, it's decided uh, over, I think, 45 cases in the past 20 years. I mean, it's it's a massive number. This is just the patent system, right? The Supreme Court only hears about 80 cases a year. Wow. So, um, and it and 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 so many of these pat uh, decisions, it has restricted or outright eliminated patent rights. And one of the really significant ones um, was a decision known as eBay from 2007, where the Supreme Court upended the right of patent owners to receive injunctions for infringement of their property right. Now, you know, if someone comes and squats in your that. home, yeah, yeah so an injunction that. is an order from the government to stop, right? Okay. So, so you, if you go to court, you have two types of remedies. You can be paid damages for the harm that's been caused to you, like if you, for your medical bills or something, or if someone's con continuing to do something, like they're squatting mm -hmm. in your home, you can get an order from the government, get off my property, it's not because damages don't make you whole in that instance. The person's in your home. Right, right, right. Or return my bicycle you've stolen or return my car you've stolen. You know, uh, it's a rare car. I can't buy another one like this. Right. So if someone's infringing your patent constantly, repeatedly in the marketplace, they are interfering with your you with your goodwill as a company, with your reputation, they're on, they're they are they are interfering with your use of your property, just as if someone started coming onto your farm and cutting down your crops and building a hut there, you know you you know and say, well, here I'm willing to pay you this money for the hut. You're saying, but that's not what I'm using my farm for. This is this I've made the decision of how to use my property the way I want to use it. Pro patent rights are the same way. 
And as a result of this decision in 2007, um, the, you know, that patent owners can no longer obtain injunctions um, for the continuing infringement of their property rights. Now, this is really significant, right, because injunctions are, are what we refer to sometimes as the backstop. Right? So it's the injunction that makes it possible for you to have a contract with someone in the marketplace. Because otherwise, someone would just come and take your property. It's right. your ability to say, no, this is mine. If you want my property, you have to talk to me. If you want to build a hut on my farm, you have to talk to me and get my permission. And I will tell you what it's worth to me, if it is worth anything at all. Right. And now that patent owners can't get a, obtain injunctions, um, you know, that's what facilitates predatory infringement. Because they know, well... Um, I can't be ordered to stop, and so I'm going to take your 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 patent, and, and you're going to have to and profit off it, yes. and then use the profits to pay to, my lawyers. Right, and, and at the end of the day, after going through you know five ten years of suits and me filing fifty petitions against you at the PTAB and me dragging you through multiple appeals all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, um, you know, uh, and if you happen to survive all of that and still have your patent. And it's not invalidated, and you have paid millions of dollars. I'll still have, to, I'll still be ordered to pay what I was just going to pay, what what I may have paid, or even less than what I may have paid, anyway. So um, uh, it's it's it has made actual negotiation and entry and uh, you know the formation of just regular contracts in 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 um, in the innovation economy. Those licenses that I mentioned earlier right. in our chat, it just impossible, substantially devalued patents as an asset, as a property right that you can market in the economy because they can't, they can't say, no, this is worth to me something that you have to talk with me in the free market for us to have, uh, to reach a negotiated price as to what we think it's valid. So that was, that's, that seems like a massive problem. And it's, it's how, um, there, there are times sometimes when I'm shopping on online or looking at things at Amazon where you'll see like 10 different companies making something. And now that I know about Josh Malone's story, I'm always like, well, who had the original patent? Am I by buying, buying this product, am I stealing in essence or empowering someone's patent to be stolen? It always, it always worries me. But um, the, they really can just profit off of it. And it just seems like there's there's the little guy has no no recourse at all none none. and if they don't have a lot of money or they didn't know how to market their product which they're an inventor they may not know marketing then then they really are at a severe disadvantage massive i mean if you i mean think of it you're a university you know, mm-hmm. you're a startup or an individual inventor like Molly, you don't have millions of dollars in the bank just to pay lawyers to go through multiple years of litigation to enforce your rights. And you're up against a company that has, if you're up against Apple, uh, $125 million in cash. Yeah. That's, that's, that's their play money. <laughs> that's a, they, they can, their cash reserves are bigger than most, most corporations. A gross revenue, you know, right. before not net, but gross, like before right. taxes and everything. Right. Yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, and that's typical of all of those companies, Google, yeah. Facebook, Twitter, and um, you know, it's uh, and so yes, exactly. This is the problem is, and they know that. Then that's why they they say, well, it's easier and cheaper for us to do this because we know at the end of the day, you won't be able to enforce your property rights against us, and you won't be able to stop us because you can't get an injunction, and so we're just going to take it. Okay, so that's a huge problem. Um, 
And it, it seems to me like one that if the court isn't going to fix it, we need laws yeah. to, to fix that. I mean, let me let, yep. just to, to hammer this point home Please. for the audience, because, again, it can sound a little complex and uh, because it's patents and it's licensing. This is the equivalent of, I mentioned, like someone coming in your home, squatting in your, in your, in your spare bedroom. I'm not leaving. Um, or I'm willing to pay you $5 rent. Or they, squatting they, in your bedroom and then renting it out on Airbnb. Yes. <laughs> so they're profiting you, from squatting. Yes. And you and you call the police and the police say, "Sorry, um, you know we can't we can't take them away. You have to sue them in court. And you're going to have to go through five years, uh, a minimum of litigation, of this person. Meanwhile, in your in your spare bedroom. Um, oh, by the way, while you're suing this person to get them out of your bedroom for the next five years." This person is going to be challenging your title deed multiple times at this agency that doesn't follow due process um, to potentially invalidate your, your property rights in your home. Um, uh, uh, I mean, if, if, this, if this was happening on a daily basis, like Americans would be outraged. We would right. be like, this is, this, is the, 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 this is the elimination of any sense of what it means to have ownership of anything. Right. And this is exactly what's happened to patent owners in our country now. I just love the fact that you really are a professor and you're able to break down complex legal um, theories and explain it in a way that really resonates with people. So oh, thank, well, thank you. you. I, thank I, I do love what I do. So and, I, and it, it, it really it means a lot when I hear people appreciate the, the, the work that I do, because that's why I do it. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for listening and watching our podcast today. And make sure that you check out Adam Mossoff's website at adammossoff.com and his social media feed so you can get the um, This Day in Innovation um, updates that he does on a regular basis. Our film, Innovation Race, is coming to theaters on November 16th, 2022. For more information about the documentary, go to Innovation Race Movie. The Innovation Race podcast is hosted by Jenny Beth Martin and produced by Kevin Mooneyhan, Lori Heiselman, and Andy Peterson. Luke Livingston directs the video podcast. Innovation Race podcast is a production of Tea Party Patriots Action. For more information, visit TeaPartyPatriots.org. That's TeaPartyPatriots.org. 